Not sure if many of you know, but we do have a virtual tier within the Design Coven, virtual pro member tier, which includes three virtual meetings a month where we set intentions. We do group coaching. So bring all your questions. We answer those questions and you get to learn from other people going through the same struggles as you. We also do a business practice meeting. So we'll have somebody on to share a business practice that we can all benefit from. And then we also do a product training. So getting a sustainable, eco-friendly line to come on and share who they are so that we can be supported with other like-minded businesses. And if you're not quite ready for pro, you can always join our free community where you will connect with other like-minded holistic interior designers. You don't have to be an interior designer if you are kind of just dabbling or you're aspiring or you're looking into this field. We invite everybody from all journeys and you don't, again, have to be a designer. You don't have to have a degree. We're just a beautiful community of like-minded people looking to create healing spaces, not just for ourselves, but for our clients and future clients. Come join us at designkevin.com forward slash join. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Holistic Interior Design Business Podcast. Today, I thought we would play an early episode. Um, This is going back about 100 episodes to episode 14, where I have my good friends Curtis and Christina on talking about small living, sustainability, the building that they built and created using uh, sustainable practices and having the mindset of creating these not tiny homes, but they're, they're pretty tiny studio spaces um, that are really, really cool. We got to do a tour of the building Cayuca, which is super exciting, but it's been so long and um, I don't think it's gotten the listening capabilities that it should have. So I thought I would bring it back to the forefront so that you can all enjoy this beautiful story, understand their building practices and be inspired. So again, today is a replay um, of episode 14 with Curtis and Christina talking about small living and sustainability. You're listening to the Holistic Interior Design Business Podcast. This is a podcast that guides you as a new or inspiring independent interior designer navigating your entrepreneurial path. Here with my over 20 years experience, I will share my holistic approach to design with intention and ancient practices, including feng shui, all incorporating mind, body, and spirit into my design projects. You will also learn from seasoned interior designers as they give strategies and insight of how they built their businesses and continue to work in the field. Together, we will discover supportive trade partners, new ideas, creatives, and inspiring artists from around the world. I am your host, Rachel Lorraine Crawford. Alrighty, welcome. I have Christina and Curtis on with me today, which is so, so, so special. Um, We have a little bit of a history together, so I'm excited to dive into that. But before we do that, we, of course, I'm going to set our space and just being really intentional i'm going to go ahead and light our candle bringing in um that fire element of creation and creativity i've got a beautiful mithras beeswax candle of course and then i'm going to ring our bell to get us centered and just take a moment to be present 
And then I have um, a beautiful card for ads from Inner Compass. This is um, her love cards. And I thought it was, I like, I went through my bin of all the cards that, that I have that um, creators have sent me. And this one just popped out and I was like, oh, it's love cards. I have a couple coming on. And then we were just talking and I'm like, oh my God. And, and um, you know, the creators in the Netherlands and Christina and Curtis had just told me that you guys are actually going there. Yeah, we're leaving uh, early May, mm-hmm. heading out to London first, and then we're over to Amsterdam. Yep, four weeks out. No, oh, cool. So I love that. Let's have this whole little connection that I didn't even know about. <laughs> so it's totally calling you in um, that part of the world. So let's see what card uh, we're going to pull for for us today. It's longing. Hmm. And we were just talking about this is going to be your first trip, right? Your first plane ride, long plane ride, and maybe yeah, our, last, our last big trip was uh, right before really all the shutdown and everything. Yeah, I think it was Japan. Uh, so we have been longing for some traveling. Yes, yes absolutely. <laughs> this is that longing of like now we get to like kind of come back into our world that we were so used to and longing for you know for that back and. Um, so yeah, I just encourage anyone that's connecting with the podcast right now and thinking about what's, what's been longing for you and how can you restore that back into your life. I love it. I have a kombucha, of course. I'm drinking um, Nova kombucha. It's the watermelon lime. This is their non-alcoholic um, line, which is freaking rad. And of course, I love their their packaging. Um I know, isn't it? <laughs> the little polka dot. Yeah, we were, we were, we were, we saw that we were doing a, a little beverage at the beginning. So our friend, um, who is in uh, New Zealand, Bob, we just got his tea, and so we're drinking his tea. But I thought you would like the packaging. Oh also. my god, that's isn't that gorgeous. cool? Yes. Yeah. Wow. We have the tea from him that we're having. He's from San Diego. Cheers. 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 <laughs> and what's the name of that that um line it's little dragon yeah it's called little dragon tea i forgot the name of this like actual green tea that we're drinking but yeah it's yeah he's been he's been a big tea drinker for like 20 years and it's been a dream of him his to start this company so i think he started it's probably been like three or four years now yeah i think so um but then just two months ago we got on uh christina organized a facetime chat with him and he kind of went through his his process and taught us some things i i the interesting thing i learned because i've been a tea drinker for like five years now is that i can only drink non uh non-caffeinated tea and uh, and drinks and i guess that's not even tea it's tizan i was like oh, no. totally okay. different tree so that was yeah. kind of interesting to learn bob was like you're not really a tea drinker yeah you're not Sorry. even a tea drinker <laughs> You're just uh, mixing things into glasses. Yeah. <laughs> some sort of a brew. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Shaking his Ocean. head. Don't let me talk to me. Like. It's hilarious. Well, you'll have to send me his link because I'll totally put it in the show notes so that we can all just cover this line. Yeah, I'm excited for it. And, you know, packaging is everything. It's like that invitation to yeah. come into okay. their world. Yeah. She did a good job. It's super cool. I did. Holy crap. Okay, I love it. Um, so yeah, welcome to Bewitching the Home. We have a little bit of a history. It was really interesting. I think 
Curtis and I reconnected. When did you do the Duke? I think it was five years ago we finished that. Okay, yeah. So I was doing staging. Um, so I was, I've been doing interior design and then I went off on my own in 14. So it was right around probably a couple of years in and I was staging and I got a call from somebody from Curtis's um, company that they wanted some staging and they liked the style. And I was like, all right. So I remember going to the property for the first time, meeting Curtis. And then afterward, I was like, how the heck do I know this person? Like I have met him before. And then it dawned on me that we actually went to high school together. <laughs> and our high school's not that big, but like, I feel like for some reason, there's a big group of people there that you just don't meet because you get in certain tracks in classes. And it seems like you have the same kids in each year. There was like a whole group of kids that I didn't have in any four years. And you were one of those. Yeah. Was like, no, I don't think we were in a single class. No, I think we you just had a couple of, a couple of your friends were in some of my classes. And that's like how I started to understand. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. And Drew, Drew Spicer. You oh, know, yeah. Drew, Drew from middle school, right? I, and uh, elementary. We went to Lemus, uh, Lemon Avenue. Okay. That's who actually we're going to go yeah. visit in a couple of weeks. You are? Oh, tell him I said kind of the, hello. Our, part of our trip was to go and visit him because he comes out here once a year. Aside from COVID, he's got here at least once a year to visit his family. So, so we actually haven't been to visit him since he got married, which was like, I don't know, 12 years ago. So it'll be cool to go visit him. Yeah. Yeah, that's so rad. And then, and then I met Christina at a networking event. We were sitting next to each other. Mm -hmm. and we just clicked. Mm -hmm. And then I remember going to um, Orchids and Onions because I was helping out. And I saw you two together and I was like, oh my God. <laughs> it was just like this big. Oh, that's well, funny. I yeah, think I the funny part. Married. Well, the funny part was that I'm sitting and looking towards the stage and then we all get kind of get up and I see you at a distance and I'm like, oh. I know her. I just met her at Hatch and I wave, but Kurt's like behind me. And so I'm like, she knows who I am. I know who she is. We're going to like connect right now. But I didn't realize that you already knew Kurt too. And so I'm like, what are you doing? Get out of here. <laughs> but I guess you guys already knew each other. <laughs> I was late. Like, you don't know anybody. You don't know anybody. Get away. You don't talk to anybody. I'm like, I know, but. Sometimes I do. I know that's one person. Yeah, I, 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 know, I know Rachel. I know her. I know her. Uh, yeah, it's hilarious. So I like to start off um, every episode just talking about home. So what is what is home to you guys right now? I know you have a, a story of how you got to your home, but I'd love to know, like, what is home now? And like, how did you get to that space? Because the way you're living is, it's like, honestly, it's a fantasy of mine. I think after the kids leave, then I can start to go tiny. <laughs> well, I guess, I guess honestly, we've always kind of lived small together in the beginning of our relationship. We had our first apartment was probably 400 square feet off of, uh, right off of Adams. Idaho and Adams. Yeah. No way. I lived in Idaho and Adams. Yes. And yes. those little cottages. Yeah. Next to the mattress store. Uh, no. Next to the mattress. There was a liquor store and then yeah. go down Idaho. And then there's like this beautiful like home that had a lot of stained glass. Oh, you're like, you're like on the corner. I'm on the corner. Yeah. Across the Kitty Quarter from, yeah, Southside Kitty Quarter of Twigs. Oh, yeah. Across yeah. from the liquor store. Yeah. Yeah. It was very close. My grandma, my great grandma lived two houses up on that side. We have so much weird history. We could go, we could talk about it for like a couple hours. Tracking I got a car stolen there. That was this crazy adventure. 
But yeah, we lived there first and it was it was super cool. We really loved it there. George Abernathy was the property manager there, this really old kind human that was just huh. like, just one of those people that was super sweet to like be able to live there for a little while. And yeah, we loved it there. It was yeah. great. Okay. It, it was $775 for a one bedroom. I know, Which I thought it was a thousand. Like You're like, no, 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 this is not the 80s. Well, it's 2005. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Yes. Like how long ago? I was there in 2010. <sighs> Man, we were just overlapping, but that was, I mean, that's how we started and just having, not ha not coming from a lot. So we didn't have a lot in any place that we started together. Um, and we started our relationship there. And then shortly after that, we went to another small living kind of cottagey thing out in La Jolla before we made the decision to buy a home. And so um, I think conceptually, we always wanted to have like this home that we were gonna build, you know, whatever that looked like for Curtis and his background with his dad who was a builder and his mom who was very much the caretaker of the home. She had many other things that she um, has, has dabbled in in her life, but was very, very dedicated to the home and what was going on for her boys. And so I think Kurt always had his concept of what that looked like. Um, for me, I, I, I guess, I don't know. I'm not quite sure what my, my ideal was for home, but I was okay with handing it off to Curtis. <laughs> Because <laughs> I, I just wow. don't have, if we're talking about building a home conceptually, like physical pieces of it, it doesn't matter to me, which is weird when you have somebody who has this ability to build beautiful things. At the time, I didn't know exactly how good he was, but he was, he was, um, he was creative and uh, he was doing a lot of construction. He was running a construction company at the time with his pops and we started searching for a home. We looked all over San Diego and his dad came across this property that you couldn't really tell what was going on inside other than it had this very mid-century look to it. It was 1955. I think it was 1955 built. Gun gunshots were going on inside. Yeah. Thank God. Yeah. The uh, pool had turned into like a West Nile situation. Yeah, like a West Nile situation. Yeah. Back. It was right at the, it was right at the beginning of like the foreclosure. Oh, right. Uh, so what year was this? 2008. Yeah, 2008. It was right. It was right, like in the early onset of like everything falling out. Yeah. And, uh, so it was kind of a good time, but it was also not the market hadn't dropped off yet. So we kind of bought it like in the middle. So it was a little bit weird after we bought it. We were kind of almost thinking, oh, did we buy too high? You know that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. For the next couple of years, we were kind of like, oh, I hope it doesn't go down any further. But, but ultimately, it's the the house had really good bones like it was super well built in the 50s like a lot of the stuff there's a lot of really amazing mid-century on mount helix I think oh my it, god it's just one of those it's one of those areas in san diego like Poiloma loma is one of those areas you know la jolla obviously has a lot of that but like la mesa is kind of like the east county that mount helix has a lot of that and that's ultimately what drew us there because because we were gonna we had this little shack in mission hills right by the nursery and we pulled out because because there was literally like, there was no property. The driveway ended up being the neighbors. So it was just like this tiny post. Yeah. I mean, it was a little too small. It was a little too like claustrophobic. So, so my dad had found that one. And so we moved into that and then 
And we had a lot of construction tools. We had a house. Yeah. At that yeah, time, exactly. we just had we no, needed a garage. Yeah, we needed a garage because there was like a lot of stuff coming in and out all the time with our projects. So, uh, so yeah, we started that ho- that home project and we let's back that up really quick. Yeah, I was uncertain about all of this, and <laughs> she's like, "Wait, let me." There had been a fire down in the garage, and so the paneling was already smoked out. Um, there was no um, wiring going through the house because that had been ripped out, and. The water situation was questionable. You got that working pretty quickly, but um, we owed a lot of gratitude. We still owe a lot of gratitude to his pops, who's not uh, no longer with us, but he just came in and a couple of his friends and then Kurt had to keep his capabilities and everybody just went to town and we thought this thing, and let me back that up a little bit more. Our real estate agent, looked at it. We were 25 and 26. Luckily, Curtis had saved every dollar since he was like five years old and he could make this dream of buying good bones to come true. And she's like, don't do it. She's like, you guys aren't married. Oh my God. It's a huge project. I've seen so many things happen. Like, just say no, walk away. Don't do it. And we're like, we're buying it. (laughs) He was like, we're doing it. And I'm like, all right, we're going to do this. So we all got in there and we thought it was going to take us like five years to renovate. Yeah. It was nine. It took us nine and we did. Well, we had like a big, we had a big window in between where we stopped. That's a like medical thing. So it was like a three to four year period where there was not really much going on. On the front end, there was a bunch going on, but we didn't have much money. So, so our first renovation was the laundry room, which is the cheapest room to renovate, you know? Right. (laughs) So it was like the laundry room and I did that in nights and weekends and then we did the office. her office yeah. which was also like a pretty cheap renovation and then we moved the big one was the kitchen that was the one oh, that yeah. saved the money for so like that was after I think like I think three and a half years we had saved enough to like slowly buy the appliances out and then and then buy the cabinets and then we had enough to do that and that was that was like a really big um accomplishment I felt like for both of us to to be able to afford to like, to be able to afford to to build something beautiful in this home. You know, once the kitchen went in, we were both just kind of like, wow, this is really cool that, that we have this place and we have this really custom, beautiful kitchen that she gets to cook in. And, and then the rest kind of just trickled in. But it's funny because naturally what happens with remodels is like, it's a construction zone until you sell it. Yeah. <laughs> so it was like, Everything else was pretty much a construction zone. And then like back in like year eight, we, we were like, okay, we really want to, that's kind of when we had this transition in, in how we want to live was probably around year eight. We decided that we really wanted to scale back. It was, it was too much house for us. And it just didn't make sense from, uh, um, from like a lifestyle perspective for us, but also, you know, like there were so many things financially, it didn't make sense. We, we just want to live smaller. We want to have a smaller footprint. We want to. Well, I think you have to explain what was also going on. Like we, we built this. I think when you ask us, what is home? I think we've figured out that home is always having a project to do there. And so I think building it to this perfection, um, it became more about maintaining it and not ruining it and be careful and don't touch that. And that's not our personality oh, yeah. at all. Yeah. If it's there, we want to use it, play with it. Like our nieces and nephews run through the house, the dogs come. 
that house became at the beginning it was such a gathering spot we had so many parties and it was great because it was kind of busted up and yeah. old and so you didn't care so we'd have these big parties and it was like whatever it didn't matter we'll, we'll clean it in a couple of weeks and that's about it yeah. you know? oh my god all of a sudden everything got nice and we we're like okay this is definitely an investment project yeah. you know a lot of people were like this is your forever home but financially for us it didn't make sense for this to be our forever home like yeah. we need it, it, it had to be like a stepping stone towards something else you know so that was kind of that was really like the transition in our thinking was like okay let's we we really love living in the city like you know living off idaho we really love it over there loved mm -hmm. you know just loving being back. close to stuff and and you know traffic and gas and everything else that goes with that it's just uh you know we had a pool cleaner and there's just all these additional costs and yeah. efforts that go with having a large house that we just kind of wanted yeah. to scale back on and he had transitioned so he was he was um no longer doing the contracting he had moved into small product modern design oh right yeah hit product the butler uh <laughs> the organizational piece for every human sure and for, for <laughs> I think of the whole family, we boxed so many of those. Well, your parents and us, uh, a few friends too. Throw those out of production. Yeah, uh, no, I yeah, mean, pretty much. There's some in the garage. <laughs> yeah, there's a small, there's a small lot in the garage, but yeah, it's no it, longer in production. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, it was good. Good while it lasted. And yeah. yeah, it was a great launching pad for him to understand that he was going to make this move into more of. Um, I guess building this design path for yourself. Yeah. And he started to wake up at five, five thirty in the morning every morning to teach himself how to CAD. And the reason why he transitioned out of uh, construction, having the contracting company, was for his health. Um, he just couldn't physically do it any longer, and so he was going to have to figure out how to live this design life in a different way. And yeah. so he started to teach himself how to do the catting and there was a small product that came along. And so that transitioned our life in a big way. And as we were selling, he was starting to get into looking at bringing these bigger buildings into life. And so I think you were right on the cusp of starting the Duke in Baker's Hill. Yeah? Yeah, 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 around that timeline, yeah. Yeah, I mean, she, she supported me like during the front end of deciding to just do my passion project, which is, which was just to become a designer, you know? Wow. And my parents are like, what? So what are you gonna really do though? Like, what's your real <laughs> job though? And I'm like, no, I just wanna be a designer and I'm gonna build small pieces and custom furniture and stuff like that. And then like a year in, you know, you still have a lot of people asking you, but like, but like, what are you really gonna do to make money? You know, you know same yeah. conversation you have. I'm like, this is what I'm gonna do, you know? And, but you're doubting, I was doubting myself all through that phase, you know, that was a two year phase of trying to make it work and doing like other odd jobs on the side. And, and then the, the butler is what ultimately like made it happen for, for us was like, okay, finally it's financially feasible. And then, and then that kind of is what transitioned into allowing us to do other projects, you know, and getting back to the city. Yeah. But the home at that time, our home at that time was also my workshop. So. So that was a big piece of our home was the whole ground floor was like a 900 square foot shop. And so we really, I mean, it was so cool. I, I loved, I loved that home and I loved that. I loved having a shop there. It just, uh, there was just certain elements of it being too large and just feeling excessive for two people. 
Yeah. That's not us not what you know, us deciding not to have kids. It just didn't seem like it made sense anymore, you know? And so we're we're both super financial conscious. So I think that's that was a big driver. And then and then obviously with like everything going on with the environment, that became like another big driver to to uh to find something a lot smaller and to just like really scale back. Um, cause we, we, we kind of felt at that point that that's like really how we would love to live, you know, and, and we've been doing this for five years now. Yeah. You know, so home is where you are. <laughs> <laughs> so what, how big is your home now? You have a, you have a tiny home. Yeah. Well, we ended up being nomadic for a little under a year after we sold and we were, do- we were going through a, lo- a lot of change at that time. And so in the change, uh, we unfortunately lost his father uh, right about that time we were making all these decisions. And we uh, moved not only ourselves, but we got his mom to come out to the city with us. So she lives about in houses up from us now. Yeah, she scaled back as well. She yeah. lives She lives in like 1,100 square feet and her house was like uh, almost 19. So wow. that was a big scale for her. And it's yeah. like her house is, I mean, just one person and a dog. Limited square feet is fine, but that was the model, you know, a thousand eight hundred to a thousand square feet was the model for so many years, and and it's it's so spacious, you know. We opened up a couple walls and redid all the interiors and stuff, and it's perfect. Such a perfect, so cute. Oh my gosh, adorable. But so yeah, that so we all moved out this way, and Kurt and I remained about, you know, we would do a a couple days with your mom or a couple weeks with your mom, and then we would go on a trip or we'd. Mm try different Airbnbs around town to see what neighborhood we really wanted to settle into. And we stayed at this Airbnb across the street from where we are now. And we didn't know this street, but uh, we stayed in the Airbnb and it was kind of quiet. And then we fell in love with it over a week. Cut to going out and staying for a couple months out at your cousin's place in La Jolla. And Kurt found online the place that we're in now. And he's like, there's this well, she actually took a plant from this yeah from this house the guy up front was he was like i think he would clippings. do clippings here uh, and there okay, okay. And while we were we were staying she walked by and he had some clippings that she like brought back to that airbnb which is on the corner mm-hmm. of our street and and like planted it in there they needed in help their with their gardening yeah yeah <laughs> yeah so it was, it was super funny to like find that house and and so we checked the house out and it was just a freaking wreck of a house. Oh my know? gosh! Like, it was perfect. It, it was for 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 the, all the right reasons. It had been sitting on the market for three months, like in a decent market, but like just yeah, like cash, all cash buyer only because it's just like missing fat, like tons of most of the foundations not here in the Zillow picture. It's leaning sideways because oh it pulls off of the front footing. It was five colors. Five colors. <laughs> Totally illegally built into four apartments. Oh my god! A single family house just cut up, and yeah. So I was I wasn't really that excited about it to be honest. I was kind of like I don't really want a big project because because we were I was I was already starting some of these uh, these infill projects and I just didn't really have a lot of the time for it. And so she was a little bit more excited. I was really excited about the neighborhood. I was like I love this neighborhood. Really love. I really want to be here, but. I just wasn't sure if we wanted to do this scale, but- um, So we walked away from it saying, he's like, it's too big of a project. And for me, like I said, I'm not attached to like the physical so much. It's more of a feeling of where I want to be. Yeah. 
and he um he's like it's just too much we go back to where we're staying and i think three days go by and he wakes up in the morning on the third day and he had checked the listing he's like it's still available i'm like you know what I think? I think we should get it. It's totally your energy. We're supposed mm-hmm. to have projects. Yeah. It doesn't have to be that it has to be perfection at all for the next, I don't know, decade. Like we would be okay if we just get it to livability. Yeah. And so we made an offer and then somebody went in and offered way above what we asked or were offering. Mm-hmm. But I had written a letter because you should always write a letter and uh, really kind of leaned into what we were doing with our lifestyle. But yeah. the thing that got, that was the, the hook was that the son of the man who, um, he had, the man who had owned it had passed, his son who was in his 60s okay. was selling it. And he had the butler say no. in his like bookmark of, of websites. And so uh, he knew exactly who Kurt was and was like, I want you to have my dad's property. Butler closed the deal. Closed the deal. Uh-huh. So there's just like these it's little magic nice moments. But you like when I walked on this property, as I knew it was magic. I knew it was right in line with the lifestyle that we wanted to have in the city. Cause it, we still both need a lot of downtime, a lot of quiet time. I think probably I'm a little bit more out and social, but he is, a quiet surfer most of the time chatty but a quiet surfer and needs some nature yeah. and um and something about the street is it just delivers both of the, those those concepts and we kind of sit under these pepper trees that just swing and bring this magical uh aspect. i think the pepper trees definitely yeah. they're like the they're the magic of this space there's yeah. two mature pepper trees and they just they're just really cool and i think it makes it a lot of people come up here and they feel like they're they're kind of in the in the hills, in the trees, and they feel like they're outside the city and those trees definitely do it. Yeah. But the structure is definitely still Lost Boys yeah. from Peter Pan. Yeah. And if there's an earthquake, we should probably run out. Yeah. Um, but it's perfect for us. Right now it's perfect. And there's no need to like make any big maneuvers other than to maybe uh redirect the wildlife that wants to live under my bed. That's all. Oh my goodness. Oh my god, you're gonna have to send me photos of this house. No, you're just gonna come over. Oh yeah, yeah, I'd love to come over. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's so we we ended up splitting it into two units. So it's an Airbnb in the back, which is like 350 square feet, and then we live in about 400 square feet, which is just it's 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 a small one bedroom, and it's just kind of like an open open floor plan. Single single wall is the kitchen. And then otherwise, like there's a little office area for Christina to work. And then and then the outside is really what helps live here because there's like a couple different terraced wood decks that you can go and hang out on. Or uh, we have a couple, we have three sheds. It's a lot of sheds. A lot of sheds. <laughs> I think he, he loved to use the uh, under, what is it, 120? Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The eight by 10. Sure, right. Yeah, so. So he's got three of those. One's one's kind of my office when I'm not on a project, and then one's my workshop area, and then another one's storage. So it works out great. Just yeah. good overflow, and then we have a garage area for her for her workout and office space. So 
so that's a good it's a good amount of space and yeah we just love we love being super close to everything now again and uh and just and just not really having the um to worry about a lot of the maintenance and stuff that we used to which is yeah. really it's really nice oh that's huge and then how does it transition into um your newest project yeah so uh the airbnb i think was kind of a little bit of the design uh exercise to to better understand and this they're both really in different ways because this one was a one bedroom the airbnb is a studio okay. the airbnb uh the layout was a little bit weird the guy that lived there before he was he was living in like a lofted kind of space above the bathroom but headroom's really small and so for his bed yeah for his bed and uh and so we were a little bit reluctant to, plus we were just a little worried about like airbnb guests having to climb stairs all the time oh, right yeah liability and stuff like that so um so we instead the bathroom had this like closet behind it so we just ended up pushing removing the closet section and and that became this like bed niche and the bed niche is kind of uh what i used at the project it was kind of a similar concept where you're you have you know you still you're still giving everybody a um like an open space but the bed is it's it allows the bed to be closed off like when you want it to be closed off and i feel like that is like a functional detail of a studio that allows it to feel more like a living space and less like you're living in a bedroom and so we kind of did two different versions of that with these two spaces and then uh and then it was really cool because we lived in the space lived okay like our our kitchen area was like how much how much storage do you really need in a kitchen for it to feel like fully functional for someone that cooks all the time like christina cooks all the time she loves cooking so i wanted to make sure we weren't we weren't going to be reducing any space for for just like living functionality so like the kitchens were designed in some ways similar to what we have here where it's like it's more or less like a 10 to 12 foot bank of of cabinetry and appliances and that felt really good i felt like the two of us we can work in the kitchen really well uh there's no bar space even though i know some of the people that have moved into cayuca they put like a little bar in there too okay so it's you know there's there's some like floating functionality that i feel like people can add to it but um but yeah these are these are 400 so so that kind of transferred over to a, like one of the main floor plans that i designed for cayuca which is 370 square feet so it's a little bit smaller than what we were living in so so i just made sure we added more storage to the space to make it more functional so like there's floor to ceiling wardrobe space that's built in and then there's a bed that's built in and um and then we have floor to ceiling casework for all the entire kitchen and then uh in the bathrooms we're we're hiding all the laundry inside the bathrooms uh we we have a little since the bed since the beds are like a tuck-in niche we uh we put we installed this little phone charging dock thing in the wall so instead of having a side side table where everybody puts their phones you have a side you have this little niche that you can charge your phones in just like a lot of little stuff like that that it's it's well, it's not really space too. the outdoor space yeah almost all of them almost all but four units in the whole project have a, either a patio space or a deck space and i feel like that's just almost a must in san diego you know it's just 
it's so warranted, especially if you're going to have a small space. I feel like you want to have some something to go to outside, you know? And so that was a huge part. I think a lot of people are pulling back on that now just because because you don't get the same, you don't get like the, the rent increase doesn't warrant it for a lot of people if they're just working off for performa, you know? But I think for, you know, for how for how I designed Cayuca, I'm trying, you know, I was trying to create an experience and not just an experiment, you know? Like I think a lot of the studios I, I, I'm, I've, I've gone into in the last couple of years, they feel more like an experiment for people to come and use for a year and not really like a, a, a long-term experience, you know? And I Lifestyle think- Lifestyle change. Yeah, so I think for most people, if they're not designers, I don't think they're gonna go and build out those spaces. You know, they're just gonna come in, put their furniture in them, and then they're just gonna kind of get burned out on it, not quite being spacious enough, you know? So, so that was like a big part of the design was trying to figure out like, what's the sweet spot in square footage? What's the sweet spot in like how much extra money we want to invest in built-ins and things like that because you know a lot of that stuff you're not going to get back we're not charging more rent than any of the other market rate stuff we're actually charging less than than most of them are and so it's just kind of like trying to find this happy medium so that so that the project still made sense financially but but we're giving everybody what we think is like the the happy medium of things so that so that people want to live there for four or five years and not just like one year yeah, no, I think it's genius having that that bedroom, the bed niche is amazing. And then also having the cutout because people are just going to, if, if you don't have that, people are just going to throw whatever bed frame and weird shit they got. And it's like, it yeah. just it kills everything. Same thing with the wardrobe. They're just going to like, who knows what they're going to bring. I've seen it. It's like, yeah. it doesn't make sense. Like, and they don't right. understand. Some people don't understand scale and size. And it's like, you know, you and you've kind of helped that along so that they can keep this beautiful aesthetic, have it very functional. And then it's like they come in like, okay, all I need is like a sofa and maybe like an outdoor patio set. And we're good. Like yeah, you did like the big stuff. <laughs> hey, and I don't I just don't think most people most people don't have the interest to do that. You know, I think like the people that do are probably five percent that really wanna like bring in all the extra stuff and really dial it in. So I just think it it should you know, I think ultimately it should be up to the designers to to try to take care of that stuff as much as possible so that it's just functional right off the bat, you know, because I just think otherwise it otherwise it's not. And then it's kind of a shame to not make it more functional for everybody and make it because it's it's 3,970 square feet is is plenty of space. And that's the cool thing about it is people will go in there when we did these tours and like, you know, we had one the tour you were on, you know, yeah. it's like there's like 15 people in that space and you know with the slider doors open it feels super comfy you know and i, I just i just think that's it's really cool that 370 square feet can feel comfortable for 15 people you know yeah it was and great and your, and your bathrooms are huge <laughs> bathrooms are huge they're adaptable and accessible so that's like the city standard you know um which i think is great like we you know we have to make sure that we're always providing everything for for the entire community and not just for everybody that's not you know, uh, handicap or, or yeah. something as other d disabilities, you know? So, so yeah, it's a good, good benefit for sure. I think watching him go through the process and bringing this building to life, mm -hmm. um, now that he's done three was going into his own concepts of life, like figuring out who he was, 
what he wanted to stand for. And his partner, Pat, being on the same page, who is also Felix. Um, <laughs> but Pat and his family having their history of being in San Diego and providing uh, housing that that is attainable for, for many. Um, them working together to to design what surfers would want to bring to the city and how are we going to preserve um, our footstep or just be aware of our footstep within the city. Watching him conceptualize the, the entire project from the point of view of Pat and him um, and what you guys wanted to do was really beautiful. And that it lives within the building now from yeah. deconstruction and all of that. Yeah, so I, I just think it's amazing that you have designing spaces based on like your actual existing spaces, the spaces that you've lived in. And then you've also incorporated your values. And part of that is being in the surf community and looking out for the mother nature and having her be your kind of your guide. So tell me about all the things that you have incorporated from the deconstruction process to like the runoff water um, solution. And I think one of the first things that was kind of like a driver, obviously like everything smaller, that's like the biggest driver of everything. That's like, you know, construction waste, uh, material usage, all that stuff. That's a, that's the biggest driver of this whole project. You know, we're our average, our average unit size, you know, most of half of the projects 370 square feet. So that, that unit's supposed to replace the typical market rate, 650 square foot, one bedroom. So right away, we're almost half of what that person is typically renting out. So, so we're taking out almost half of the construction materials use by doing that. And, and, you know, and making sure it's functional is a huge part of that and not just an experiment. But, um, but beyond that, uh, there's a lot of design details that, that were integrated into the project. Um, a lot of people are shifting towards concrete right now. Concrete's more, uh, it's it's a lot more durable and and lasts a lot longer and and material costs are almost shifting to where it's it's within like five to ten percent in the total construction project costs to just do concrete. So there's more people switching towards that. Concrete can is you know obviously can be really beautiful. Siegel Jonathan Siegel has always done like a gorgeous job with that. Um, the the downside to it is it's it's about fifty percent as sustainable as as uh, wood framing and so uh you know lime is not a renewable it's uh it's recyclable but it's not renewable so i think uh, one of the first first decisions that i made was was that it was all stick framing and that we weren't going to do a podium deck we eliminated the podium deck and in exchange for that uh we have three standalone structures with seismic joints in between them because they're not they're not tied together on a second floor traditional which would be traditionally tied together by a podium deck for um for the diaphragm and so the the wood the wood versus the concrete was a was like a, a big decision i made early on um i think cost wise there's probably not a big cost difference between the two to be honest maintenance wood's probably going to be a little bit more but i think you know it's it's that balance you're trying to find like, I think we have to make decisions for, for, for the environment and, and for, you know, for the next hundred years. And I think like everybody's saying, 
that's that's the that we have to go back that way mm. even we have to minimize concrete even though i think it has longevity purposes and there's like plenty of arguments for it i think ultimately everything i'd studied and research was saying like we have to we have to be more on the lumber side the stick frame side um, so that was a big that was a big decision the other one was just adding uh adding solar to the entire roof i wanted to make sure that I was designed into the project from the beginning because all these projects are so much stuff that you can you can put on the roof with like all the hvac units and all the venting for the plumbing and uh, it can just get littered really fast with like mechanical and other uses. So, so that was part of the initial design and it was part of the construction budget from the beginning. Uh, like on the previous project, we designed it into the project for one of the roofs, but it wasn't integrated into the construction budget because we just didn't, like the funds weren't there. But this one, it was like from the beginning, it's gotta be in the pro forma, it's gotta be part of that and it's not gonna get taken out. And um, so that, that powers, uh, it's pretty cool. I have this app now and it tells me, um, I'll show it to you because it's, yeah. I, I look at it every couple of days now because it's just kind of cool how they quantify things, but, but it, um, it gives you, it gives you the power creation oh, rad. day to day. And then at the bottom, at the bottom, it's, uh, it tells you how many, how many trees you planted and what? emissions you've, you've, uh, you've reduced. We got 16 trees so far. It's just cool. It's just like a, it's, I think it's great to give people, people want like, people want to visually see what this is doing. Yeah. They want you to know, know what impact making. It's odd. Like this app, Solar Edge, it just came with the, uh, with the solar system we put in, you know, but I think, you know, it's like people, I feel like people, in order for it to be tangible, you know, people need to actually like feel it. What, what, what is that doing for us? You know, so that our system is, all three roofs, and it'll it's gonna essentially power a quarter of the of the of the units, so it'll end up powering like six units. It's almost what everybody's doing now. You know, that's yeah. the requirement for new new uh, new residential. It's still not a requirement for apartments. I'm hoping that shifts in the next couple of years because I just think it's, it's like it's crazy that we have all this flat space all over the city being built, and we're still not putting solar on it. Yeah, it just this, that blows my mind. Like blows my mind. Yeah, it's like this is this could take away how many emissions from cars, changing over to electric. You know, there's so many things. So, um, so yeah, that was like a big one. I think the the biggest part of that is making sure it has to be in there from the beginning. Like it has to be in the pro forma that the developers, you know, talking with this financial advisor about. It's all that stuff has to be in there, and and it can't be like the fat that gets cut out at the end of the project. You know. And I think that's super important. And these like a couple different elements, they have to just, they have to just always be in there. They can't be cut out. And, and so the other big one uh, that I personally feel like is really important for San Diego is pervious, pervious pavers versus concrete. Um, and so that's the entire project's pervious aside from some SDG&E easement that we have that had to be uh, grouted. Um, and that's gonna, uh, the math I've done is like in a two inch rain event, we'll, we'll soak up about 80% of the water on site. And then the rest kind of flows down into this other kind of washing basin. So more or less, I don't think we actually divert any water to, to runoff and in, into our oceans. And, you know, the other option that all these projects have these days is the, the bioretention basins. But the biggest downside to those is that uh, what happens is you filter all that water 
through these pools on site and then they just flow out to the streets. So they just get polluted on the streets and then it just goes out to our ocean. So I don't really think there's any value to it after doing it on two projects. I just think it's a huge disconnect. And I think, you know, I think it should be like, if you can't, you know, some sites are, some sites are almost entirely building. So Pervious doesn't necessarily work on a lot of sites. So I think there should be another option where maybe there's a fee that you pay to perv to do pervious somewhere else as like an alternative. But, you know, for, you know, for us in San Diego and I think pretty much anywhere that's coastal, I feel like it, it's a, it's a massive red alarm that we should all be experiencing right now because, you know, I don't think a lot of people understand that 75% of our oxygen comes from our, our aquatic ecosystem. And, you know, we're killing all of our aquatic mm -hmm. ecosystem with all of our water runoff. So, so I think it's, it's super important, like that these types of strategies are getting put in place on anything new getting built, because if we don't do it, we're not going to have it, you know, we're not going to be able to enjoy La Jolla Cove and all those things. They're just going to, they're going to go away. And it's just a matter of time. You know, and I think, I know the city's doing stuff, but I think we need to be doing a lot more, you know? So yeah, those are kind of like the main things. There's a lot of other little things we did. Uh, we did our, our demolition, we did deconstruction versus demolition. So, so we had a team come out, they, they hand pulled the, all the, the existing buildings apart and, uh, we were able to recycle a lot of the lumber on old, on old homes is like, just <laughs> worth money now, you know, you know, yeah, it's like, yeah, oh, they love growth. it. Like old growth Doug fur is now, is now this like, you know, it's like mahogany. Yeah. You know, it's like tight, tight grain, tight grain wood. So. A lot of these older older spots like you know the the existing buildings two of them were built in the 70s and they were kind of like they're not really well built and what were they what's that what were they were they houses or there was a duplex that was just kind of funky and then there was a little studio so those were like the two two structures built in like the late 70s and then there was an there was an old home that was kind of run down um it ended up having like they do an analysis on your on your project initially and because uh, you get this great tax rebate from it. And that's like this huge selling point to it is, is your tax rebate could be enough to, it, it's always going to be enough to offset the additional cost of deconstruction. But what it'll most oftentimes do is it'll actually make it cheaper than doing demolition. Wow. Like, you know, initially that it was quoted that we were going to get like a $60,000 rebate, tax rebate from it. And it ended up going down to like 25,000 because because a lot of the lumber ended up being termites, um, which is still recyclable, but it's not uh, it's not reusable so much. Right. People don't people aren't going to uh, resell it. Um, so that was kind of, I think that's a huge one. You know, that's that's another one that I feel like should just be the standard. It should just be deconstruction, especially now because materials cost so much money mm -hmm. that all a lot of that stuff can just get reused in some way or another. If if someone just takes the time to pull it all apart and. And there's companies that do that and uh cost wise it was within five thousand dollars of demolition it was, so it was it, it, instead of fifty thousand dollars for demolition it was fifty five thousand for deconstruction and we got a twenty five thousand dollar tax rebate and we were able to donate uh, a bunch of appliances and cabinets to habitat for humanity uh w within that process so it's like a win for so many wow. so many reasons and and it should just be the standard but it's i just don't think it's communicated enough out abroad and so I think everything comes down to timing for a lot of people and timing is like demolition is so quick and right. Edco, 
Edco recycles things, but technically a lot of that stuff's still going to the landfill, you know? So, I, you know, it's another one where I, I just hope that that just becomes the gold standard of San Diego, you know, and, and we all transition towards it just because uh, I think it's financially, it's financially better. I just don't think enough people know about it yet that it is financially a better option. You just have to give yourself, instead of demolition taking two to three days, deconstruction is going to take two weeks. So just start your project two weeks early and then you're good, you know? Yeah, I think a lot of that is that people don't understand or don't know that that's available. And then the other thing that I've noticed with, you know, builders and developers and all these construction is sometimes it's hard for them to do stuff that they haven't done before. So they, you know, they get into their their routines, they know how to do it. It's like, you know, I've been doing this for 50 years and, you know, they just like have their thing and it's like, okay. <laughs> so I think getting like your team in place and, and, you know, I've got a couple of GCs that are like, all about like experimenting, trying something new, you know, how can we do it in a better way? And those are like the key people to really connect with. And you're, I mean, it's, it's huge. And, and then, you know, when you work with somebody that's so rigid, it's just like, it's so defeating. It's just. Yeah. And the industry is super rigid. And I think that's the challenge, you know, I think that's what everybody, you know, everybody that's trying to kind of slowly transition into this new all these new environmental models that you know it's it there's so much pushback you know i would say like 90 percent of the industry is is stuck in doing things the same way that we were doing them you know 70 years ago and it's just it doesn't make sense anymore but luckily you know what's happening is it's like led lights and solar it's all these things where it's becoming so uh what is it uh yeah it's like the Beach supplies train. supplies there the money's there for it. The costs are coming down for everything. So it's transitioning to it any, anyways. So I think it'll, a lot of these things are just gonna happen. I mean, it's good to see, it's good to see that the city's uh, requiring, you know, three stories and under on, on new houses to have solar. I think all that stuff's happening. It's just yeah. that, you know, we just, you know, everybody's just gotta keep doing it, you know, doing it more. And it just becomes a standard for everywhere you go, you know, which is great. Yeah. I mean, it's just so inspiring to see all the things that you guys are doing and just being like, oh, there's people that care and they understand. And, you know, it just like opens up this expansion of being able to look at things differently and having faith, you know, that the world can <laughs> shift yeah. and change and we can actually do something and um, that you guys are following your values and you're living like you're living your talk, you know, you're you're doing the things and it's just like, oh, it's amazing. I'm just yeah, I'm just in awe of both of you guys. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I think you. we do the thing for our community. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> a beautiful job just bringing people together and yeah. changing conceptual yeah. ideas of how people can live in this world. So yeah, being mindful in this space, I think it's huge, you know, mm -hmm. getting that starting, starting out wherever your new space is, like starting out on the right foot. I think that's, that's huge, you know, mm -hmm. such an important piece of of being comfortable and, you know, moving forward and, and not having like the stress and the, all those other things that come with it. You know, we just had a friend over last weekend that just bought a house. And so we were, they were get, telling us all their uh, DIY woes, you know, which is always great. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I've been like there. you keep going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have fun. You can just make this like an entire stage for yeah. chaos to record and have fun. And then one day, six months from now, You'll look laugh. back and you'll be like, we came far. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a big journey. It is. It all journey. Yeah, every time. 
every one of these projects is a big journey, you know? Yeah, I think, especially in the last few years with the climate of our world, it became overwhelming to think of how we could create change. It seemed like it was unattainable. And I think for the two of us, it just became very clear that it had to be about our community. And if it's within the block that we live on or the neighborhood that we've decided to really kind of sink into, what could we do just on a smaller scale on daily living? And once we started practicing that more often, um, and that was the transition of going so big to small again and getting back to the city, everything kind of just, without us intentionally doing it, just kind of came together on its own. So it's interesting to just be in the space that we are right now on the back end of so much chaos while still being in so much chaos. Yeah. Uh, it feels like we've settled into a nice spot of knowing that we do have some kind of power, you know? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. It's really like, it's just all those little things, you know? It's like if everybody just does all those little things, I feel like there's there's huge change. I mean, I, you know, honestly, everybody's so bummed on the gas, the gas right now, but uh, there's a huge blessing in that whole situation. I mean, COVID, COVID was the first one where all of a sudden, right. Everybody's everybody's working from home. It shut down so much commuting, so much emissions, just huge, huge reduction. And now with gas prices, there, there's a there's a huge wave of people that were not going to buy electric for probably 10 to 15 years, who yeah. knows how long. And now they're out shopping electric, which I think is ultimately it's amazing. It's what it's what our environment needs. It sucks that it's it's making life more unaffordable, you know. And hopefully the other things will kind of offset that because it is kind of insane how things how expensive things are right now but i think ultimately we all need to pay a little bit more you know in order for us you know yeah. two to three generations to still be here you know i think it's just it's it's i think i think mother earth is forcing it oh my god yeah she is like all right <laughs> I'm cutting yeah, shut up. it down like you guys aren't going to do it fast enough so like here's covid shutting it down and now it's like what you know the insane crisis in ukraine and russia like that it's i feel like ultimately it is it is just further pushing us away from gas and we're pushing us into our true values yeah too. yep totally you know we don't we don't have little ones but we do have a lot of nieces and nephews and if they're the only ones that see maybe a little bit of change that we're trying to do that would be worse at all you know yeah i mean they're different yeah and they're you know they're seeing everything and they're like my boys you know the oldest he's always like before bed sometimes it's like he's worrying about you know the sea level rising and like freaking out about it and i'm like oh my god like like this is real stuff for these kids and that they're learning and they're like basically like you guys fucked up like yeah you know and it's like what do right. i say what do i do like how do i like you know comfort him and help him and um, but yeah, there's, there's a lot there. Yeah. Well, great job on having such an old <laughs> kid. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Uh, yeah. They're, they're both super, super sweet. Um, and going back to mindfulness, are you guys doing anything, um, right now in the world of, of ritual or how do you guys get grounded? How do you stay centered? How do you get into that, that world, that mindset? 
we both we both have different practices. Oh, I want to hear. I think I think uh, for years I tried to pull him into what I was doing, and then he tried to pull me into what he was doing. And he, I'm I'm very uh, I'm less intense when it comes to my ritual of maybe being mindful. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd say definitely, I've always been into yoga, um, being a dancer, having a background in dance, I think always being very aware of my body. Um, but given the, these couple of years of being grounded at home and not having these extracurricular activities that I could pay to get into, it really became of uh, a practice of what I was doing for myself here and what I had in the safety of my own home. Um, so I would say being mindful in, in small little practices for mm-hmm. five minutes at a time, 10 minutes at a time, if that's putting on a recording or um, just sitting quietly with mm-hmm. holding my dog and then writing. Writing is a big one for me. It, it has to transition out of my body. So I'll try and, and write some pages. You have a completely different practice. Yeah. 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 I'm definitely more, I'm more of like a ritual person. Okay. Uh, I have, you know, routines that I just live by. And uh, so over the last, I would say like probably five or six years, I've been tr- slowly like fine tuning my, like my morning and evening routine, you know, and I've tried a lot of different meditation practices. And then, and then I was really into Wim Hof for a little while. And then I found a, a, a group out of Insignia's called our, uh, our breath collective and that's that's my go-to routine now i really love there's a couple they have i don't know if you're familiar with them yeah there's probably a total of like maybe 15 to 20 different uh leaders and every morning at six o'clock they lead like a 15 minute breath breath exercise and i love it and it's super cool because it there's so much different variety that you can uh, you can start to feel which ones are your, what your body really needs which I really dig. Like, I, you know, I, you choose all these different types of meditation and you start to understand which ones are really going to make your, your mind kind of like either, you know, whatever your mind needs to do to like either start or end the day. If it's like take away all the stress or take away all the chaos and like just, you know, get into that moment of just, you know, paying attention to that one thing. And for me, breath was definitely, it's more of like a, it gives you the, it's like the added physical element that really okay. allows me to just, just like stop all, stop everything from outside, stop my thoughts from everything that I have to do and just like focus on this one thing and just get into like a really calm state. And um, yeah, I really love their, their practice is great because there's a couple of people through their practice that I really, that really make my body feel good. And so I, I just kind of, that's my, that's my daily. And I usually do 15 minutes in the morning and then 15 minutes in the evening before I go to sleep. And and then I do some other like stretches and stuff, but yeah, I love that. That's like my go-to. I can't, I can't not do it. If I do, if I miss a couple of days, my whole body, I just feel it, you know? Wow. Like I gotta, I gotta get back on it, you know? And, and that's a virtual thing. You don't do that in person or? Virtual. They, they do in-person exercises, workshops and like weekends and stuff like that. But I haven't done any of those. I just do, um, yeah, they do live. And then after okay. live, it's, it's, um, it's just pre-recorded. So you can just. You can go back. The cool thing now is you can go back through. So I have like, there was one that the main guy, Reese, there was one that he did on Christmas Eve. And I felt so good after that one. So I replay that one probably at least twice a week. That's like one of my go-to exercises. Is it just like that one specifically? 
the everything that the flow from start to finish like my mind and my body just felt so much better afterwards and it's cool to find those things because it really is i think everybody's body's so different and it's really i think it takes a while of trying different practices to really find out what like your mind and your body really needs you know and i liked yoga a lot but i feel like yoga is i needed something more than just yoga you know i definitely needed something on the there's like a mental mm-hmm. heart component that i was missing you know so it's cool to yeah it's cool to find those things i think they're super powerful and i think everybody should be doing them to be honest i think it's it's something i wish i was taught when i was like 4 years old and you know i think my stress levels would yeah. probably have been a lot more manageable over the years cuz cuz of it you know so it's oh my god and what's it called again that's called our breath collective Okay, you'll have to send me the link for that too. Uh, I'm gonna put I'll, that in there. I'll forward <laughs> to you. Okay, that'd be amazing. Yeah. And is it a membership or is it? Yeah, it's uh, a membership, but they also their their page has a ton of free, free uh, breathe breathes on there. Just you know, they'll do like full weeks of free breathes. So, so you can, I mean, you could live off of their free breathes. But I think it's uh, once you do that for a while, it's it's cool to get the variety of their daily because then you can really find the ones that are. You're like that's that's one of the ones that was magic for me, you know. So I'm gonna keep that one, and you know, it's it's cool to have that. And surfing. And surfing, yeah, surfing is my other. Like when you ask, what is your ritual? Curtis is nothing but routine. Ritual. Yeah. Surfing. Yeah. yeah. So Curtis, what's your sign? I'm curious. Uh, Taurus. Ah, it's a birthday is coming up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're going vacation for my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> I was born on Mother's Day. Oh my God, what a gift. I'm sure your mom is just like <laughs> loving oh, yeah. up on that. She's that mom. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She's always definitely her gift. Oh she yeah. Loves she loves being Highly home. supportive. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's so rad. All right. So what's brewing? What's coming up for you after this big trip? What are you guys working on? What do you have? I see that you have a painting back there. I know you've kind of taken on some some painting skills and, and what else you got going? My focus for a while is just going to be more, more on, go. yeah. More on creative projects, less on like the doing and producing and more just on just, uh, yeah, just creative stuff. I want to get back to just creative stuff for a little while and kind of figure out where, where I want to go next. But um, definitely taking a um, long pause from development and um, yeah, just design stuff. We're gonna, we're, we'll, we're gonna rebuild our house at some point um, into, into three, three homes. Mm. Uh, like a Airbnb and a two bedroom and then a, like a, a our home. So that'll be a project that we probably do in the next like I don't know 2 to 5 years kind of thing, but okay. I kind of want to totally regroup on on my passions and my like my design love and and take like a slow slow like a uh, design process into that whole thing. I already have a bunch of designs I've done for it, but Now I kind of want to back out and and just kind of feel it out for a while and mm-hmm. see what what makes the most sense. So that'll be like my uh, main design project for a while, I guess. I feel like Whitworth he's saying what he's gonna do and then like the time off. I feel like we were still going pretty hard with with the lines of work that we had. Yeah, time that everybody else slowed down. I feel like we still had so many projects going on. That we're kind of wrapping up a, a big portion of them, and it's time to let go and travel. 
and reset and I think we'd probably have a better answer in a couple months of what's next I really hope that we don't have a what's next for a, for a minute yeah I mean we're I, yeah, I'm the, I'm gonna be the on-site handyman at Cayuca I like it so I'm really, yeah. look, really looking forward to that to be honest like just take care of what everybody needs and and just uh maintenance and just kind of caring for it like it's like it's my home you know and just there's some really cool people that have moved in over there uh one of a friend of a friend is moving in and I, we already have a couple of new friends that live there so so it's kind of it, it's definitely that spot and that was a, a part of the magic of of that project was like i wanted it to be close to where we live so i could bike there and so now we're transitioning into this point where i can bike i was biking there at the beginning of the project and then it got too busy and i had to like do a lot of like trips to the store and that kind of thing so now i'm back to got a little tool shed over there and i got my my bike upstairs so it's just kind of biking biking back over there and fixing things up when i need to and that's kind of uh i'm, I'm super excited to just do that that's happening oh i love that you've created a, a beautiful community over there um and do you still have some spaces that are available for rent i don't think so Wow. Yeah, we're all rented up. We have we just have a couple leases that aren't signed yet, but okay. but we should be. So yeah, that's the crazy thing about the market right now. Just it's insane. I don't get it. Yeah. But there's a lot of people moving into San Diego from other places, kind of like what's happening in Montana and all these, like a lot of the people from big cities. We have we have someone from New York, someone from New Jersey, uh, someone from Oakland. And then San Jose and San Francisco. So we have five. So 25, I think 25% of our building is people moving from somewhere else. And I think that's a big, that's, there's a huge part of what's happening in the rental market right now, which is just people from other places that I think are slightly more expensive than San Diego are moving here because they work from home. Right. And, and it's definitely causing a flood to the rental market because I didn't, you know, we didn't advertise originally. We just had our, our posters up, so we were getting, we were getting a good a level of traffic. We were trying to finish the project, and, and my, Pat and I were also doing the property management. So we kind of wanted to just take take it in slowly, and uh, and then just two weeks ago, we decided to kind of let's let's market it and finish it, and we did that, and we had a huge flood of people. People are like sending us personal statements and. And we had a ton of people wow. at the open house and it's, and then it just, yeah, that was it sold out. It's crazy. It's just a crazy time right now. So it's a big transition and city happening and pretty wild. So crazy. And what does Cayuca uh, mean? What's the meaning of the word? Uh, so when I was doing the historical review on the project, uh, you have to go to the San Diego Historical Society and you look on the old Sanborn maps. So when I was doing that, I noticed that Robinson Avenue in like the 20s used to be called Cayuga. Oh. I was like, that's pretty cool. That's like the main drag of Hillcrest. It's yeah. one of the main thoroughfares. So I kind of like that name. So we just we just put a C instead of a G just to give it a little bit more, uh, I don't know. A little know. peppy. Yeah, it's a little Curtis Blair. It feels a little bit, I mean, <laughs> yeah, Yugo, a I reminds me of the Yugo, <laughs> the Yugo car that was like a failure in the market. So I was like, I didn't want to have that connotation, so. So yeah, Cayuca is is a is a flavor of the original Robinson Avenue street name. Oh, that's so cool, and I love the icon. It's just happy, and it just reminds me of like times of past. 
That's a that's a shout out to our friend Lauren Alec. Yeah, our friend Lauren. She's the she actually uh, yeah. So she worked. She used to work for this uh, really cool uh, graphic design shop in in uh, Orange County. Uh That's how we originally started working with her. But now she works for uh, for MindSpace. Uh Like a lead designer for MindSpace. Hey, no wonder. Yeah. So she has the same feels. I love (laughs) it. It's cool. It's cool to have her because that's definitely like a part of us. Is like that whole you know just that train of thought i feel like and she has the same she's a surfer too and surfer as well um yeah so it's, it's cool she did a good job We're happy. yeah she did and then i think she also made you guys like some keychain design and yeah 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 we stuck her logo on those keychains and yeah everybody so moving the, in yeah, the everybody, little green we'll get you one yeah yes i'm like i'm obsessed with it <laughs> <laughs> i need to make some keychains those are yeah. beautiful oh, thank you yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, like everything you guys are doing is just so intentional. And I think that's the the big thing is like being really intentional, connecting to our values, connecting to our cores, and then living that life and showing up in that way. And, you know, showing up in that way for the future generations, you've got your nieces and nephews that are looking up to you. I've got my boys, like, yeah, it's huge. It's huge. Yeah. Yeah. We're, the, we're definitely that generation that I feel like, you know, I think our, our parents' generation was like the beginning of recycling. You know, oh, there's recycling bins. That was that transition, you know? So I feel like it's it's been this slow transition, but I feel like now it's, you know, it's it's exponential. And I feel like it's, we need exponential efforts, you know, from our generation. And obviously the one after us is gonna be the one that's really gonna like turn it up mm-hmm. a lot and, and make these huge shifts. But yeah, no, I think everything, every little bit, you know, everything, everything we're doing, it'll be interesting when the compost I know the compost thing's supposed to be coming in two years, and I'll, I'll be interested to see how how that shifts. Yeah, we've been doing that in Encinitas, um, so everyone can drop all their compost into the green bin. So we've been like before that, it was like this big thing where we have to, I don't want you know there's worms and there's like it smells and this whole thing, and now it, they've just made it so easy where we just dump it in, and it's like we don't have to worry about it. Just your, so is your green bin the same size as your trash bin? Yeah, got it. So it's just one extra bin and then all your all your food goes in there. Yeah, it's the same green bin that you would throw like all of your clippings from the yard when yeah. or the lo- you know, the mowers and the gardeners and everything just dropping in all the green and all the awesome. food. How much uh how much extra, you know, like say if you're if you were if your trash bag was filling up every like three or two days or something like that, how much how much difference do you think it is for your family when you're diverting all that? It's hard to, I'd probably say like 20%. 20%. Because I mean, we're, I mean, we're, we've got like a bowl that we fill up and we, we toss out like throughout the day and it adds up pretty fast and it's heavy and, you know, dense and yeah. in our trash. It's like, you don't, I feel like, and then you, of course, have the recycling. So it's like, there's hardly ever any like trash, trash. I feel like we need a bigger recycling bin is what we need. It's like, we don't have enough to space to like put all the recycling in. Right. What's your uh, what's your uh, compost setup look like in your house then? Oh, it's just like a, we just have this metal bowl that sits on our kitchen counter right by the sink. So whenever we um, do the dishes or when the boys, you know, clean up their plates, they just we scrape it all into the bowl and perfect. Put that's the dishes great. on the dishwasher. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it just becomes part of the routine. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, I think we're city to city. It sounds like we're still two years out before that. It's it, isn't it 2025 or 2024? Oh, I don't know. I think yeah. they're still trying to find the 
I think that uh, there was something that went through. They were still trying to finalize the funding for all that, you know, because it's like a, it's another whole truck and transfer and everything has to be, has to happen. They might charge for it or, yeah, I don't know. I've, I heard some talk about it, but I don't, I don't know what's like the final. But, and then I know people do have like the countertop compost things and then they also have the bins and Uh I'm just seeing that in my clients' homes that they're all doing it already. So that's great. That's, That's awesome. really cool. Yeah, we need to, we need to do that. We we haven't started that because um, we don't free. Well, we tried. Yeah, we tried to do composting ourselves here on the property, and yeah. but as I said, the wildlife has. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, we have to figure out a better system. Yeah. Well, it's funny that you talk about the wildlife. We have this cat door for the our cats to go in and out. We've had skunks come in. We've had raccoons. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh same yeah. <laughs> but I love them all and like the possums and I'm like stop feeding them or like don't like encourage that like you know yeah. they come in and eat the cat food that will eat yeah. right <laughs> yeah. it's like it's cool but also <laughs> yeah don't do that <laughs> and whatnot that come with that as well that's kind of medium in nature yeah, yeah. it is yeah. their home <laughs> I know we've moved into their territory yeah yep, exactly all right well thank you so much for being on here I'm just like over the moon I can't wait to share all of this with everybody and all of the links that you're gonna supply me with too because right. yeah it's Thanks just neat to see it. people doing cool things and giving the inspiration to others that they can do it even if it's just little teeny tiny little things yeah huge totally. Oh well thank you for yeah. making time for us thanks for having us yeah it's all good right. talking to you always a pleasure yeah. <laughs> All right, thanks. All right, we'll talk to you soon. You've been listening to the Holistic Interior Design Business Podcast. If it's one that you have been enjoying, please share with anyone else that you think can benefit from this knowledge and leave us a five-star review that helps us get seen and found by other new and aspiring interior designers. And if you're looking for mentorship, I invite you to join our club here at the Design Coven. It's a bridge between school and real life interior design. We get in much deeper there. We have virtual and in-person events. So everyone is welcome. You don't need to have a design degree to be part of it. Just an interest in holistic interior design. I also want to thank our editor, Marcy Ferry and Kinseth Thibodeau, who is our music composer. Until next time, be well, and we will see each other soon.